gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And we're back with a new episode. Um... You know that, as I mentioned last week, we've, uh, as I've been in the process, I'm still in the process of moving to Texas. Our stuff is up in Colorado still, so we'll be, there may be another week or two this summer that um, we don't have new episodes just because I'll be traveling back and driving back down here and stuff like that. So, but we are planning a lot of new episodes too. And the episode we're going to do today is something that I have really wanted to talk about. It's something that I've thought about a lot. It's something that Rachel and I have talked about. Um, it's even something I've talked about with some of the girls in our group. And I want to talk about kind of the attraction of legalism, of legalistic teaching. And I see so much of it. And, I, and I've really, I've done some reading and I've, I've actually asked some people that I see that are attracted to that. Tell me tell me your story, you know, that seemed to want something a little bit more legalistic. And part, part of that, I, you know, is understanding the difference between legalism and antinomianism and, um, and understanding the uses of the law and some of those things. So we'll touch on all of that, but we're, we are going to talk about, you know, why, why it's attractive to some people. I think maybe it's our default a little bit. <laughs> For starters, let's talk about the types of legalism. I I wrote out, there's a great um, article, uh, it's probably pretty old, by R.C. Sproul that talks about types of legalism. So just to kind of lay the framework for what we're talking about, because I see people use legalism in different ways, and, and it, it's appropriate to do that because it is um, kind of have different types of legalism. But uh, what do you think about when I say legalism? Rachel? You know, it's interesting. I, I think what usually comes to mind is um, a sense of trying to do all the right things, trying to prove your worth to God 
or to others, depending on how you're feeling about, you may say, well, I'm not trying to get right with God, but you're stuck on, on doing all these right things so that you look like you're doing all the right things. Um, but yeah, I think that would be legalism in that sense or in, in the sense of it's very rare to find anyone today who thinks that they have to actually follow you know, the law as written in the Old Testament. But um, there's still you know, some, some summary of, of rules that they feel like they have to keep. Yeah, and I think depending on how people grew up, if they grew up in something that maybe they had to prove that they're saved, well, a real Christian would do A, B, mm-hmm. and C. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of girls that grew up in the independent fundamentalist Baptist, and they just have a whole bunch of made-up rules to go along with with their rules. So sometimes, you know, you think of legalism like um, women must wear dresses, um, Christians can't mm-hmm. drink alcohol, you know, thing, things like that. A little, Baptist, so, yeah, we don't drink, dance, or smoke. You know, those are yes, those were rules that we were supposed to follow. Yeah. And I don't know if this is true, but I, a friend of mine said that, depend, like in the South, the Southern Baptist is a little bit different than like in the North and things like that. And I don't know how, how different that was, but my church being evangelical free church, um, there's some teetotalers, but but most people weren't. But there were other things sometimes that uh, you would see. But I'm gonna, I'm going to read this little quote from Stroll mm-hmm. that I really liked. Some people seem to be preoccupied in the Christian life with obeying rules and regulations, and they conceive of Christianity as being a series of do's and don'ts, cold and deadly set of moral principles. That's one form of legalism where one is concerned merely with the keeping of the of God's law as the end in itself. There's no love, joy, life, or passion. And I think that's something, sorry to our listeners if you hear my dog, but I, I think that's definitely probably something I see um, around a lot. You see that in some of the legalistic preachers out there and where it's all law. I, I almost felt like some of them, it's like, okay, we're going to give you the gospel now that you sec- accepted it. Now we're going to give you the list of everything that you have to do. And then right. the gospel is kind of like, you know, been there, done that. Don't need to worry about that anymore. Well, like the gospel is the way you get in, but the law is the way you stay. And of course, that's not at all uh, what scripture teaches. And it's not what the gospel means. But um, I like this point about there's no love or joy Uh in this kind of legalism, and you certainly see it. Uh, people who are stuck in it, there's, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anger, uh, often um, anxieties, but not much joy or peace. Yeah, that's. I've been thinking about that a lot. That sometimes we think of the Christian life of all these rules and not enough about things like love and joy and peace and even the fruits of the spirit. So another type of legalism is, um, and here's a quote from Sproul again, New Testament distinguishes between the letter of the law, which is its outward form and the spirit of the law. The second form of legalism divorces the letter of the law from the spirit of the law. It obeys the letter, but it violates the spirit. Um, So he uses the example of the Pharisees who confronted Jesus over healing on the Sabbath day. They were concerned only with the letter of the law and avoiding anything that might look like work um, and completely missing the spirit of the law. 
loving your neighbor. (laughs) No, go ahead. Right. No, that's, that is an excellent example of it. Um, Let's try to think of some other ways that we see it. Uh, it, You think about if you have kids and you see it and then, well, I didn't do the thing that you said not to do. Right. But you know that they really didn't like they, they didn't follow what you really wanted. Right. And good example. Right. That's that, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, technically you did do what I said, but you also knew that I meant more than that. I think that a lot of legalism depends on divorcing the letter of the law from the spirit of the law, because the only way we can even think we are capable of keeping it is if we try to distill it down to, you know, these set of actions that we can try to do and do right. Um, you know, we, there's no way that we can keep the full import of the law. I mean, we can't even keep the little parts that we try to, but you know, it's it's entirely beyond our capabilities when we th- when we consider the full weight of the law. Yeah, one thing when I started listening to the White Horse Inn, and I had I, I just never learned this growing up when they would t- talk about sins of omission and sins of commission. Mm-hmm. And thinking even in in that sense, where I think sometimes people focus on all of these things that you must do, and they neglect those things that we ought to do, like love our neighbors, ourselves, and some of those other things. And, and I think too, it's it's easy to be attracted to things that are black and white. Like, okay, I can I can not murder. I, I can do that. Um, and instead of what does it look like to love my neighbor? What does it look like to display patience and grace to my husband? Things like that. Well, you know, even in, um, like in the Westminster Standards and when it goes through and says, well, what does it mean to, you know, um, honor your father and mother? What, you know, what are these are the, each one of the commandments, it it talks about the things that are required and the things that are um, forbidden under these commandments. And it's, it's detailed. There's a lot there, but even when you get through, you know, looking at all the ways in which these we can kind of lay out what this means or doesn't mean, it's still not a list, a checklist. Okay, if I don't do these things and I do these things, then I've kept the law. You know, I went. I was just talking to a friend about this this week, and I know I've mentioned I went to Wesleyan Arminian Bible College, and they believed in. Um, entire sanctification or sinless perfectionism. And (laughs) this just puzzled me because I'm like, I know what a big sinner I am. And I like my thoughts are wicked. And then I realized they were redefining things. They're like, oh, no, that's a mistake. Um, That's not a a sin. Like, okay, well, you're you're wrong. <laughs> it's still, if I think bad thoughts, that is not a mistake. That is sinful of me to think bad thoughts. Right. So, and yeah. ironically, while, while they did that, they also did what we're going to talk about the third type of legalism. And I think we're all very familiar with this. I even think about this and some of the manhood, womanhood stuff that you and I mm-hmm. have talked about, which is adding our own rules to God's law and treat them as divine. Boy, I'm thinking of like, a few of them, like a woman must mm-hmm. never work outside the home. Wait, what verse is that? I think you mm-hmm. said it's like first opinions or something. Um, first opinions, <laughs> very long book, many chapters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, he, he says this is the most common. I would say it is something I run into a lot and 
boy, we do so much of this, don't we? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's even tempting, I think. We all have to be careful to not do this and make a black and white standard where God has not. And it, it is tempting. You know, that's what I was saying before is that, you know, if we tried to keep the actual law as it's written or the law and all the interpretation of it, it would be overwhelming for us. And it should be because it's meant to be. It's not supposed to be a checklist that that we can go, oh, yes, I can do these things. Um it's supposed to drive us to Christ, but we're much more comfortable with making, you know, taking a few things that we think we can keep or making our own rules that are applications of things and saying, well, I have kept these, therefore I've kept the law. You know, I am, I'm on good terms with God because I've done all the right things. I've always done the right thing because I've followed X, Y, Z rules. And these are the rules, especially when we make our own rules and we call them God's law. Um, and enforce them on others. It's where we violate other people's consciences and we make personal preference into musts and do's and don'ts. And it's extremely dangerous. Um, This is something I've said before on here, I'm pretty sure, that, you know, all of us are legalists to a point. We all have things, and we're usually legalists about things that we think we can keep and do, um, or the things that we don't struggle with personally. Uh, by the same token, almost all of us are, are antinomian uh, in the same way that we have things that we do struggle with, or we, and we try to dismiss and say, well, that's not so bad because you know God understands and there's grace. And, and while it's true, there is grace and there is forgiveness, and it's you know, we shouldn't be excusing ourselves for our respectable sins, as Jerry Bridges would call them. Yes, we, that book was um, very convincing. So good. <laughs> Such a good resource. If you haven't read it, highly recommended. And But pointing fingers at others for where they struggle with their sins because you don't struggle with that one or you think you've overcome it and you're very proud of that. It's It would be very easy to be kind of pharisaical. Look mm. at me. You know, I've done everything right. I... I homeschooled my kids and I um, stayed home and didn't work and I keep my house perfect. And even with these kind of made up rules where I think sometimes we, there's a tendency and I've seen it around where those are emphasized more than the things that are in God's word that we're called to Mm -hmm. like all of, all of the things, if you read the larger, I mean, if you've never read the larger catechism, on the Ten Commandments, I highly recommend it. Um, now, part of you may be like, "Wow, I'm really worse than I thought," because I I break all of these. <laughs> but um, it is it is also such a reminder of God's grace, and, and it's an encouragement. You know, um, the Ninth Commandment one encourages me in various ways. So that one is particularly detailed. It's it is amazing the things that are required of us and the things that are forbidden to us and. Um, you know, it's so much more than just, you know, I didn't tell a lie. Right. That's one of the things when, when my kids were little and they would, um, tell me the truth officially, this might be a letter versus the spirit of the law. Um, but they would neglect some important details. Like I didn't lie. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so we finally changed it to, okay, no deception. And I think actually Mm -hmm. that ninth commandment includes any any deception. So if you're neglecting mm-hmm. to give me important details, y- that is still a violation. 
of, of the ninth commandment. It's a sort of dishonesty. So let's talk about why people are attracted to legalism. I will tell you that I think we all like rules. I see it in the Facebook group all the time. Um, I'm having marriage problems. Give me a book. Um, and people want 10 steps on how to have a good marriage. They want 10 steps. Yep. Be a, a, any number of things. Um, and, and there are times where that sort of thing can be appropriate and helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it, in some of those books that, that I'm thinking of right now, it, it kind of neglects the gospel as foundational. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of, if I can do, I mean, if you look at even some of the books for Christian women, they're basically uh, they're self-help books with some Jesus thrown in. Um, most of the books know. are Christian women. I would not just some. I would go to say most of the books for yes, Christian this women is true. end up that way. And um, and we must like it because they're so. Some of them are <laughs> extremely popular. Um, that book that was so popular, it's it's barely Christian, but it was marketed as a Christian book. That girl, wash your face. It mm-hmm. was it was literally a it was all law. Do this, do this, mm. do this. You can do better. Here's all the things that you need to do. And it was extremely mm. popular. We like that. <laughs> well, we do. And, and it's not just in in the spiritual side of our lives. We like rules, right? We, even though we like to fight against them or disobey them. We like a sense of, you know, here's a list. And if we do the list, then everything's good. We want to know, you know, what what our diet and exercise program should be like. And when we talk about breaking those rules as sinning, right? You know, I, I, I cheated on my diet. I, uh, you know, whatever the, all the language, we still use that same language that we need this sense of, you know, these are the things I must do. If I do these things, then I will get this result that I want, um, which maybe you will, maybe you won't, right? It doesn't, there's not a promise in, in it. Yep. Right? It's not a one-to-one and, or like raising our children and I did everything right. Or I tried to do things right. And, you know, why did my, my child leave the faith or I did everything wrong. Why is my child a believer? Which is probably more often what you sit there and think like, I'm, I'm, if you have children who are believers and you think, I know I didn't do everything right. Um, you know, and hint, it's not really all about us. Um, thankfully it is his work, not ours. Um, but we like it. We like to hear, do this, keep these rules, obey these things and everything will turn out. Okay. It's comforting. Yeah. It uh, almost gives us some hope if I just do, do these things. And I'm thinking one of the things we've talked about before is some of those books out there for women, for wives and Mm -hmm. women get those books and they do everything. Well, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. Why isn't it working? Um, and that's kind of what you were saying. It, it might, mm-hmm. might not. This is not a promise, um, mm-hmm. even in the Christian life, that we aren't going to have troubles. And we may be living, you know, in obedience to the best that we're able, but um, we're still sinners. Those around us are still sinners. This, the, this next one, I think, is the – I talked to some people because some people came after – us. I can't remember. I wrote something on Facebook a long time ago about 
that some of these female teachers are very legalistic. And somebody came to me and said, but I came out of easy believism, so it's refreshing to have um, some law. And I think that there is a lot of attraction to legalistic sort of teaching out of a fear of antinomianism, um, mm-hmm. especially people that came out of kind of this easy believism stuff. You'll see in some, see it kind of more talked about among some dispensational Baptist or Calvinistic teachers, you know, talking against the easy believism. We talked about Lordship Salvation and also the uh, the free grace side. Both of them we think mm-hmm. are error, but there's people that come out of the free grace side and they are attracted to the Lordship Salvation side because it's because they saw the error in what they were in and they want something better. And so they see this better instead of saying, wait, this is just another ditch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the best image, right? If the, the two ditches, right. It's, it's the same error, but different sides of it. Right? It's still about keeping the law or not keeping the law. And that's not the point that we should be making, but, um, it's easy to overcorrect and end up in the other ditch, whichever one you came out of. Um, I think it's more common in reform circles to fear antinomianism and to tend towards legalism. Um, just from what I've seen, I think it's more common um, when it's, it's really pretty rare to meet, meet a true, true antinomian. We call people antinomian. We, we throw it around as a term like we've been called antinomians, um, right. which is amusing in the sense that, you know, we, we've talked pretty regularly and pretty explicitly about, um, you know, the uses for the law and the, the purpose of the law and the Christian life of the Christian, all of these things. So, you know, we're not antinomian, but um, I do think that there is, it's, it's just not just that people like rules. I think that there is a ten- tendency within reform circles to to te- to drift towards legalism. Yeah, it's you know one of the things um, I think we've seen this in some of the the even the men women debates where mm-hmm. um, you know we're called feminist egalitarians, which is still so funny to me, but because the egalitarians. I <laughs> don't think that about us, I will tell you. And the feminists definitely don't think that that we're feminists and egalitarians. But it's it's that same, it, it would be easy if you're coming out of patriarchy, and I've seen that too, to fall into the other ditch. And one thing when I was studying all of these things, I said, okay, instead of finding my position by being reactionary to another position, I need to stand back and say, okay, what does scripture really teach? You know, and so I think any time that we that we come to a position primarily in reaction to another position, we are in danger of falling into another ditch. It's that pendulum swing, right? Yes. You know, just we swing from one to the other. Um, and you're right, the answer is to go back to the scriptures and see, you know, what it actually teaches, what does it actually say. How do I, why do I believe this? Why do I understand it this way? And it's not that you shouldn't, you know, look to people who have gone before you to explain things, right? And see how they've gotten there. That's part of the study of getting there. But understanding what you believe and why is important. This concern about how the gospel 
uh, rightly preached, that the doctrines of grace rightly preached and understood, that this will lead to antinomianism if you don't tell people that they're going to go to hell if they don't do X, Y, and Z, and you have to like lord it over them. This idea that if, if you don't do that, then no one will do the right thing. Right? That that is what um, what during the Reformation. That's what the reformers were accused of by the Catholic Church, that because they were teaching grace uh, and salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, this, this teaching, they were, they were told that it must be that it was people were not going to obey anymore and weren't going to do the right things because there was no um, danger hanging over their heads. That does drive a lot of the legalistic preaching even today. Mm-hmm. It does. It's that sense, and you hear it. Well, but if I if I say that, then you know how how are you going to convince people to to obey? Like, well, and this is where you go to the Heidelberg. It's it's gratitude, right? We we obey God out of gratitude because we love Him, because the Spirit's at work in our heart, and He is, makes us both willing and able to obey, and He gives us the desire, and He gives us the good works to do, right? All of these things flow from, uh, from the gospel and not from a legalistic uh, adherence to rules and regulations. I have a great quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's like my favorite quote. And I'll link it in the episode notes because it's longer than what I'm going to read. And I think actually in the beginning of the quote, he says, a very good way of testing any view that you may hold is this one. Is the view humbling to me, glorifying to God? If it is, it is probably right. And he, But later on, he says, If your presentation of the gospel does not expose it to the charge of antinomianism, you are probably not putting it correctly. What do I mean by that? Just this. The gospel, you see, comes as this free gift of God, irrespective of what man does. This justification by faith alone, this free grace of God in salvation is always exposed to that charge of antinomianism. Anyways, I just thought about that quote while, while you were talking, because I think that's what some people live in fear of. If I don't they're, they're almost the other side. If I don't preach the law right, then I might be charged with antinomianism, and I don't want that. But like Rachel said, at the Reformation, because this emphasis on justification by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone, brought charges of antinomianism. Wait, if you say it's all free, then how are you going to make the people obey? Right. Well, <laughs> again— that is that the point, right? Is that the point of what we're supposed to be doing in preaching the gospel and sharing the word, his word and making disciples? Is it about us controlling other people and making them obey? And I would say, no, it's not about controlling other people and making them obey. Um, it's about sharing the good news. It's about encouraging them to do good and right because of, of, who God is and because of what he's done for us. But the controlling others through manipulation, through fear, through threats is not at all what we're called to. Yeah. Uh, what um, for part of a quote from Sinclair Ferguson, he says, um, 
for antinomianism and legalism are not so much antithetical to each other as they are both antithetical to grace. I love that because I think we need to talk about how do we avoid either ditch because I, you know, like you said in the beginning, there's parts of us that tend towards legalism and there's probably parts of us that tend towards antinomianism. Mm -hmm. And I think understanding God's grace correctly is, Mm -hmm. um, is kind of, uh, foundational to staying out of either ditch understanding law and gospel correctly. Well, you know, it's the thing, and again, I'll go back to it that I've said many times from my campus minister about, you know, are you struggling to be free or are you free to struggle? And, you know, that puts our efforts in the right position, in the right place, right? We're not, and that sets both justification and sanctification. We are not trying to make ourselves right with God through our obedience, We have been made right with God. We are justified. We are now being sanctified. And part of the sanctification is the Spirit working in us and making us aware of our sin, making us willing to obey and able to obey, and giving us the good works that He has prepared for us to do. And all of these things are then, we will struggle against our sin because we should, because we recognize that it's sinful and we don't want to live that way anymore. Uh, but we may struggle for a very long time. It may last all of our lives. Like the Heidelberg talks about um, the struggle that will last all my life, live long life, I think it says in one of the translations. It, it, it is. It's lifelong. This is our struggle. But, um, you know, we should be struggling, but for the right reasons. Yeah, I know. I was so discouraged when my grandma at 91, or she 90, <laughs> told me she was still struggling with some of the same sins. Uh, but it's encouraging now, right? When you think about... Yes. No, it, it, it is. But I was like, oh, is this really going to be... I thought I'd get somewhere by... But we, it's actually a good reminder that we have to look to Christ. Uh, this side of heaven, we have to continue to look to Christ because we will fail and we'll still struggle with sin. Uh, the important word there being struggle. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is. It's the important word. We would recommend reading the Heidelberg <laughs> on this subject. Yes. Well, it, it's it's good, especially to read it and compare it to um, the uh, Westminster and see how it's very similar um, but the emphasis is a little different in places and the, the benefit of that uh, and seeing how it goes together. So um, let me let me read Westminster Catechism on sanctification since we're kind of talking about that. Sanctific- what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. I love that because it's God's work in us whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin and live unto Christ. We are growing. I think one thing we have to be careful of is I think the more we grow in our faith that we can also see our sin more. So it can feel like, am I, you know, am I really growing? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we read God's word more and like, wow, I didn't think about that sin that I have. And, but when we're united to Christ, we know that He is uh, working in us. Uh, it is, I think, Calvinists sometimes emphasize the. Uh, if you get the non-reformed Calvinists, will sometimes you know emphasize uh, s- 
justification being Mm -hmm. a work of God's grace and not enough emphasize sanctification also being a work of God's grace. And I think correctly understanding justification and sanctification, and I know that both of us would point to Westminster Catechism and Heidelberg Catechism on these things, but correctly understanding those is a way to avoid the ditch the ditches it is um and you know i think it's one of those things both the justification and sanctification when you read the description in the the shorter catechism it talks about it's an act of god's free grace right or it's a work of god's free grace both for justification and sanctification and it's important to remember that um God is the one who began the work. He's the one that will finish the work in us. And understanding that helps us, helps free us from a lot of the misunderstandings and the falling into those ditches. That passage is always such an encouragement to me, which you kind of quoted a little bit uh, there, that he who began a good work in you will complete mm-hmm. it. That That's what we hold on to, not our works, but knowing that the work that the Lord is doing in us will be completed. You know, and that's to reading through Galatians and seeing what Paul says to them about, you know, do you think that you began by the spirit, but you're going to finish by the flesh or through the law, right? And, you know, that's, we want to fall back on our efforts. It is appealing to think we have some control. Uh, it, it suits our pride to think that we can do things. Um, but it's good to remember that we're going to fail and the grace covers that, but we should still work to do well because God has saved us and he loves us. Yeah, we can we can rest in that. You know, if you're struggling with this, I'm going to also recommend Gretchen's book. We had her on a couple of weeks ago mm, because so I think good. I think her book does a good job kind of on the learning to rest in Christ. Um I think we kind of all, all are a little bit control freaks. We want to have some control over it. Just let me have a little control over it and I'll do what I need to do. I think a lot of times in our lives, when we feel like everything's out of control, it's just that the illusion that we were in control is taken away briefly, or we get to see behind the curtain and see how less, how little control we actually have. Right. It's a good analogy. Um, you know that we talk about the importance of understanding law and gospel. I think this is very important to avoiding those ditches, too. Um, There are some people out there that say that law and gospel is antinomian. I do not understand this whatsoever. Um, That even somebody said that law and gospel doesn't emphasize obedience enough. And I I would say it correctly emphasizes obedience. Um, The correct why we obey and absolutely emphasizes obedience. If you've sat under any pastor that distinguishes between law and gospel you know they preach both the law and the gospel they don't just preach gospel they preach the law and the gospel and mm-hmm. the law appropriately in which is in view of the gospel the why the the why we obey um you know we mentioned the three uses of the law and how or the proper uses of the law. I didn't think we said three earlier, but the uses of the law and how that helps us understand too. Do we want to talk about that a little bit or? Yeah. Let's talk about that. Oh, we can talk about Um, it just a a little bit. Well, I think even if we talk about, I think even if we talk about Heidelberg, 
And mm-hmm. Heidelberg talking about the guilt, grace, and gratitude. So it's a little, uh, a little different, but same. We know that the law shows us our sinfulness, and and it mm-hmm. drives us to Christ, and shows us how we ought to live in obedience to Him. And Heidelberg, if if you've not read the Heidelberg, it's split into guilt, grace, and gratitude. It's that same mm-hmm. sort of thing. I I always think in terms of an earthly relationship. If sh- somebody shows me immense grace. I, I want to do something pleasing for them, you know, if right. my husband, if I'm, if I'm in a bad mood and my husband is just extra gracious with me, it kind of makes me think, oh, I, I want to, I want to do something kind and um, for him or something like that. And I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine like being like, okay, yes, God, you did all that. Now I'm just going to go disobey all I want, you know? in view of his great grace, I, I want to obey. I'm sad when I don't. I'm, I feel sorrow when I disobey. You know, that's one of the things that, um, in the parables in the gospels, when, when Jesus talks about, um, you know, the guy who's forgiven this great amount, and then he goes out and is unforgiving to this person who owes him much less. Right. And you see that, He's, he's warning people about, you know, we've been forgiven much and we should be forgiving towards others uh, as a result. Um, but that it's the same idea that we have been given much from God to, excuse me, we've been given much through Christ. And so we should have a lot of gratitude. We should have eternal gratitude to when we realize, and it, but to get there, you have to recognize the weight of our sin um, was that quote from Gretchen's book? Uh, if you're in the group, I posted it um, this last week. Uh, so, when we think the law is attainable, we think grace is excessive. Right. Boy, that's such a great quote. <laughs> that kind of sums it all up. It is. It? It's like, <laughs> wow. Right. When we really think we can do it, then we think it's excessive to be great for grace to be there. And we think it's, oh, it's too much, just free grace. When we realize just the weight of our sin and how much we owe, right, then we see what it means that Christ has paid that for us. And it really does. It, it makes you want to show gratitude. It makes you want to obey and to love God and to love others. Um, I was thinking about the passage in Luke 7 the woman who comes in and she anoints Jesus' feet and cries over them and wipes them with her her hair, right? And he tells the, the guy who asked about it, he says, you know, you didn't do these things for me. And he says, for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And I think that that talks about how important it is that we recognize how much we've been loved and how much we've been forgiven. Yeah. That's really, really powerful to think about very much. Yeah. So read Gretchen's book if you haven't, because I think it would be helpful in this subject. And I'm so encouraged speaking since we talked about women authors, I'm so encouraged that we have several women authors that have, written books that are grounded in the gospel. I mean, we really, we've really 
do have some good ones out there. I know sometimes people say, oh, all, all women's books are, you know, this, but we have someone like Gretchen or Christina Fox and mm-hmm. um, Amy Bird and uh, Wendy Alsop's book on suffering was mm-hmm. um, so excellent. So yeah. And so there, there's some, we've had some really great authors on. If you go through our podcast and, and see, and it's so encouraging to have some of these, even um, Elizabeth's book, you know, she talks mm-hmm. about in the beginning Dream of her book, yes, where, mm-hmm. you know, she was going to do everything right. She had the list of everything she was going to do, do right. And, and I mean, I was like that in some ways too. Oh, I was probably like that in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, certainly I was. And I realized, well, I remember realizing one day, just kind of falling flat on my face in failure and mm-hmm. realizing that I needed to really fix my eyes on Jesus. So in, in Hebrews 12, and I, I'm just trying to figure out which part I want to read, but um, one, one day when I was doing my Bible reading, I just this passage really on the subject that we're talking about now, but it talks about rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith. And the picture that it gives there, and there's other versions that will say fix your eyes on Jesus and, and different things like that. But the picture it's giving is you running a race, but you have these things that are entangling you. So I had, when I was going through that passage, mm-hmm. I thought of if I was running and I had like a bunch of weights tied to my arms and my legs, it would be hard to run. And so it's kind of talking about, you know, throw off those things that entangle us. But then it goes on to say, fix your eyes on Jesus, you know, look to Jesus. That's mm-hmm. how you do it. Um, and that he, he's, he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And I think it's, for me, such a helpful picture in just every day for me because I do fall and I fail and every single time it so often when I'm not looking to Christ and then I fall and I have to look back to Christ and I find forgiveness and I find comfort and I'm reminded of the gospel and his love for me and I think understanding that grasping that is how we avoid these ditches and I know that we have a lot of people I'll say this to to end, but I know we have a lot of people who've come out of, maybe they came out of this free grace um, sort of teaching where, you know, you can say a prayer and even if there's no sanctification, you just go on to live a very ungodly life because you said that prayer. I have family that believe this. Because you said that prayer, then you are just saved forever. And there's people who are like, well, that doesn't seem right. And you're right. It, it isn't right. <laughs> but the But the answer isn't then to go and say, okay, great, give me lots of law. The answer is to go to Scripture and say, what does Scripture tell us? And Scripture tells us that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone, not because of anything we do, but that because of what Christ has done, we live in gratitude to Him, and we live in obedience, and because we are united to Him, He is sanctifying us. He is working in us that we may die to sin and grow and grow to righteousness. Got a little preachy That's there. That's an excellent <laughs> reminder. No, it's a, no, it's good. Um, I was just going to say, if you haven't read it, as a recommendation for 
our listeners, um, Amy Bird's book, Theological Fitness, is a um, an in-depth look at those verses from Hebrews and application. Um, and it's, it's really a great, a great read on how to understand it and what it means to fix our eyes and that he is the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, I need to read that because that's the one I haven't read. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great. Yes. Okay, good. I'm going to, I'm going to download it today. <laughs> I'm going to link that in the episode notes. Also link the Martin Lloyd Jones, um, quotes. And if you want to hear a little bit more about this, and maybe you're newer to our podcast, I think our episodes with John Fonville that we did, I think about a year and a half ago on the gospel. And then we also talked about antinomianism. And that was Mm -hmm. from a very theological perspective, you know, thinking about covenant theology, thinking about um, understanding the covenant of works and covenant of grace and some of those uh, different things. I really helpful. Yeah. Yes, not theological, but not overwhelming if you're new to studying mm-hmm. theology. So I'm going to link that also. So if you have any episodes, uh, ideas, feel free. We're going to be planning some episodes soon. So feel free. Um, I know, I let me say this real quick, because, I, because of our abuse episodes, and uh, at some point, Rachel and I can do something on this. We've gotten a lot of people that have reached out to me about um about having standards for your church things to ask mm-hmm. a new church regarding what policies they have in place regarding abuse and stuff i at least for the time being let me point you to grace which i i wanted to address that just cuz i've gotten so many which i'll also link um they they have some resources i know on their site and i think do, do they still do like where they'll come out to a, a church and do a little conference but they did something like that. I think so. Um, I don't okay. know with, with uh, restrictions what people have been doing lately. But oh yeah, that's I, true. I believe that's so. True. Yes. Okay. Um, so I know. I know. There's a. There's. Uh, there's congregants that are like, okay, I want to go talk to my pastor and elders about what policies are in place, or even uh, heard from one woman that is part of a committee at her church to come up with appropriate policies. And, um, and then there's even pastors that are saying, I need some resources on how to implement uh, good policies in, in our own church. So I wanted to just mention that since we, since I hadn't gotten a chance to, and we, we might talk about that at some, at some point. So... Well, we will see you next week.